What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, your word, we man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so, Lord, as we open our Bibles today, we, Lord, see the mouth of God. And from your mouth to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Refresh here a little bit. Ruth chapter 1. And uh, take a look at... Uh, uh, two men. Ruth chapter 1. All right. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of their two sons, of his two sons, Malon and Kilian, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. They came into the country of Moab and continued there, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. They took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They dwelled there about 10 years. Malon and Kilian died also, both of them. One was left of her two sons and her husband. And she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her, they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them. They lifted up their voice, wept. They said unto her, Surely we will turn with thee unto thy people. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them? And from having husbands, nay, my daughters, for it grieved me much for your sakes. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. 
She said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will, die, will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part me and thee. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they went until they came to Bethlehem. came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, the Lord brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of Harvey, barley harvest. For chapter 2, verse 1. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servants that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? All right, Father's Day. Today we're going to be studying two fathers. The first father we're going to be studying today is a father that was not a good father. He's a bad father. The second father was a good father. So we're going to contrast. The first father we're going to look at in the book of Ruth here is, as you guessed, Elimelech. And what we've seen so far as we've been studying the book of Ruth is a tragedy about this father. It's a tragic account of a father, this Elimelech. He had a dream. Elimelech had a dream for his family here, and we've studied that. And as a father of this house, he led, he, he, he led his, his family to pursue a dream, to pursue a hope, but it was wrong. And, it, and those, those dreams entered in, in, in a disaster. And chapter one is the account of a shattered dreams of a father, Elimelech, and his family. So what we've seen is that Elimelech was a, first of all, he was a prominent man in the city of Bethlehem. The father, Elimelech, was the leader of his family. His wife, Naomi, his two sons, as we think, Nelly and Killian. But a famine had struck the land of Israel. And so he has now, as a father, the responsibility to lead his family. What are we going to do, Dad? And now he, he, he looks and he says, hmm, if I stay in God's land, the land of Israel, if I stay among God's people, the Jewish people, and then he, he says, that, that doesn't look so good. And then he looks over and he sees his, uh, the idolatrous neighbors Moab, and when he saw the land of Moab and the Moabites, and he saw, he said, that's a good land, it's fertile land, they've got water, and the people look prosperous. And so he's influenced by what he saw, and he's a, he's a father of the house, and he's making this tragic decision that's going to have tragic consequences for his family. It's a tragic decision that Eli Malik has made. He's a father of the house, he's making this decision. Why did he do that? Why did Elimelech decide to make this, this decision, this tragic decision? 
because he was following in the steps of another bad father. Sounds kind of bad. We have Father's Day, we're going to study bad fathers. <laughs> of another bad father named Lot. And Lot is a similar tragic decision for his family. Similar tragic consequences. And we read all about those in Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 11, where it re we read there, it says these words, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him the plain of Jordan. See, Lot lifts up his eyes, he sees it. Then he chooses the land of plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated, Abraham and Lot, they separated the one from the other. So Lot, he was the father of his house. He was responsible for his house. He made the decisions for his house, and his decision that he made was bad, and it had consequences, tragic consequences for his wife and his daughters. See, he has this decision to make for his house. Lot has this decision. In order to make his decision, what does he use for making his decision? He lifts up his eyes, and he makes his decision based on what he saw. And the account tells us how Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan. And it was very nice. It was a well-watered plain. It was a fruitful plain. It had a lot of food. It was abundance. Uh, and he saw this plain. And that represented, as Lot looked at that, he said, I see opportunity for me. I see an opportunity. I can get rich. I can make a name for myself. Lot's thinking these things. And he sees this opportunity, and he says, you know what? All my life I've lived under the shadow of Abraham. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to get out from under that shadow. And so he looks at the plain of Jordan. He's filled with this excitement, this excitement of how I can really advance. I can really get ahead in the world, and I can get right to the top, and I can make a life for myself with riches. And so, as the father of his house, Lot turns to his family, and he tells them all this. He like, casts this vision for them. He says, look what we can do. And as the father of his house, Lot is the head of his family, of his wife, and his daughters. He didn't have any sons, Lot. And he turns to his family, and he tells them, he said, just look with me. Look with me at that plain of Jordan. Isn't it wonderful? Look at the opportunity. Look how that represents opportunity for us. We don't have to live as a second to Abraham anymore. We can be just as rich as Abraham was. Now's our opportunity. Now's our chance. Let's go. And he makes this tragic decision to forsake Abraham, to make it rich, uh, to go to, uh, in, in the plain there of Jordan. And as a father, Lot made a wrong decision. And that wrong decision had tragic consequences for himself and for his family. He knew that he was choosing the plain, and in the plain were the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew that. He knew the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah had given themselves over to immorality, and they were in, a re in, in this rebellion, this lifestyle that's a rebellion against God. He knew that. But there's one word in those verses that we looked at in Genesis 13, and it shows the tragedy of what he did. And it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere. And then it says, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. But he says, 
And, and Abram, by contrast, it says in verse 12 of Genesis 13, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, but Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and, and, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So the word that's used there is so, so tragic is that Lot chose him. He chose him. He's a bad father because he, he let down the guard of his soul. And he was a bad father because he didn't teach his wife, he didn't teach his children by example that there was a devil, a devil, a very real enemy of our souls. He should have been saying this as a father. There's a very real enemy of our souls, the devil. He should have been saying the words of 1 Peter 5.8. He should have been saying, we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because we have an adversary, the devil. He's a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. He's a bad father because he didn't tell his family, he didn't lead his family to be keenly aware that the devil was walking about seeking to devour his family. He was a bad father because he wasn't sober, he wasn't vigilant for his family. He was a bad father because he wasn't on his knees praying for his family. Oh God, I know that the devil is a roaring lion and he's walking about, he's walking about my family right now. And the devil is seeking to devour my family. He's not like Job. Job is saying, he's praying, he says, oh God, he's praying for his sons. I don't know, maybe, they, they, maybe, maybe they've cursed God secretly. I'm praying for them. See, Lot's not like Job. Job was a bad, Lot was a bad father because his first priority was not the spiritual well-being of his family. He was a bad father because he let his greed for wealth overtake what should have been his first priority, which was the family God had entrusted to him. And Lot knew the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He knew as they, how they were described in, in Genesis 13, 13. It's wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He knew that. If Lot was a good father, he would have said, I need to get my family far from these people. I need, they're going to corrupt me. They're going to corrupt my family. That's dangerous. But he was only thinking of himself. Lot was only thinking of himself. And a father is a bad father when, like Lot, he only thinks about himself. A father is a bad father if he, when he thinks that, that my wife is only for my pleasure and to serve me. A father is a bad father when, if he thinks that my children are just there for my pleasure and to serve me. A father is a bad father if he says about his wife and his children, well, what about me? What about my needs? Why doesn't my wife satisfy my desires and needs? Why don't my children serve me? See, a father's a good father if he doesn't think about himself first, if he doesn't think about his own needs, as it says in Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. A father's a good father if he puts his wife above himself and thinks of her, uh, how can I serve her? As it says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. A father is a good father if he puts his children above himself and thinks of how he can serve them. As it says in Colossians 3.21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Father is a good father when he thinks about, how can I encourage my children? What am I doing that's discouraging them? I have to stop that. Or as it says in Ephesians 6.4, you fathers, provoke 
not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lot had no interest in the word of God. Lot only had an interest in the word of Lot. And, and, And a father's not a good father when he doesn't fill himself with the word of God. By not neglecting his daily quiet time with God, with an open Bible, and then let what he learned that morning, what he learned with God that morning, let that occupy his thoughts and his attention to the point where he just talks. He talks all day long about the Word of God. And, that's what, and, and, and that was the whole vision that God told for the fathers in, in, in the Shema, in, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, where he says, Hear, O Israel, listen to this. The Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, he says, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words, he says in verse 6, these words which I command thee this day, he says, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by thy way, and when thou liest down while thou risest up. See, God told the Jewish people, He says, this is what a good father is. A father is a, number one, a good father is a man who loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Think of the man who's madly in love with a girl. He loves that girl with all his heart, and he's giving her a special place in his heart. He's thinking about her. He loves that girl with all his soul, and he's constantly thinking about what he can do for her. He loves that goal with all his might, and he, he can't do enough for her. That's the picture. That's the picture of the believer who loves the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. See, a father is not a good father and he, unless he first loves the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. And then it says in Deuteronomy 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. He says, shall be in thine heart. You know, it means that in order for a father to be a good father, the Bible must be in his heart. Not just in his head, but in his heart. When the Bible is only in the head, that means a person knows the Bible, but it's different when the Bible's in the heart. A person may have studied birds, for example, and can know all about birds, but a bird watcher is different. A bird watcher, he's got birds in his heart. (laughs) He loves birds. You can't walk outside with a bird watcher who has birds in his heart, but he stops and he says, you see that bird up there? You can't see that bird. You have to look at it and say, right there. He says, you see it? Oh, yeah. He says, that's a blue jay. He says, and you look, you don't see it. He says, he, look, he says, look more carefully. Then you see it. He points it out to you. And then, and then he goes on talking about the blue jay until he sees another bird. You know, Vance Havner, maybe you've heard of Vance Havner. He was a great Bible teacher. You know, he was the one who had all these funny sayings, like some people in church are like wheelbarrows, useful only when they're pushed and easily upset. That's <laughs> Vance Havner. He, he went to heaven in 1968. But he was a bird watcher, Vance Havner was. For, how, how many of you remember Francis Darnell? Anybody remember Francis Darnell? Well, Muriel does. Muriel remembers everybody. She's going to be the last one out. You're going to turn the lights out. <laughs> Francis Darnell remembers, uh, Mira remembers Francis Darnell. Francis Darnell was a bird watcher. 
She loved birds. You know, when, 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 we, when we used to, Cheryl and I used to take business trips overseas, and then Francis would stay with our kids in our house. And, and we'd go away and leave him with Francis. And she was a bird watcher. And when we come back, our boys would tell us. They would tell us about what, what happens. And, 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 and they would say, you know, she'd be driving down the road. And all of a sudden, without saying a word, with no warning, she would just pull off the road and bring out her binoculars and stare. <laughs> she saw a bird. <laughs> She's a bird watcher. See? Why? Why'd she do that? Because that's what a bird watcher is. A bird watcher is like a Francis Jones. She had birds in her heart. Right? And they weren't, they weren't just in her head. They were in her heart. And she was looking. She loved birds. And so she's looking for birds. She saw birds. She studied them. And then she talked to the boys about the birds. The boys were very impressed. They told us all about this. And said, hey, birds are. In the same way, God is saying to the fathers in Deuteronomy 6, 6, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Don't just have the Bible in your head, but in your heart. I remember uh, one time we had a big uh, clinical chemistry meeting, a trade show meeting in Chicago, and I had to work at the booth. And so, so Cheryl, she decided that afternoon she was going to take a special trip, a ride, a special boat ride in the Chicago River. You know, it goes to the Chicago River, goes all through the city of Chicago. And that boat ride was called the Architecture River Cruise. And it's put on by the students of the Chicago Architecture Foundation. And when she came back, and from that architecture cruise, she said, it was unbelievable. She said, she said, she not only learned so much about architecture, but she became interested in architecture. And she started to point out to me certain architectural features of buildings and so forth. Why? Because those students on that boat, on that cruise, they not only taught her about architecture, they infected the hearers with a love for architecture. She said it was amazing. She said, you'd see, she said you see a building in the distance, and, 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 they, and they would say, you see that building? You see that building over there? You see the shape at the top? And then they would give the name and explain what both they are, the structure and the beauty of, the, of that feature. And she said when those students saw a building, they went, they went into their own world. It was a world of architecture, and they saw and they appreciated these different features of the building. Why? Because those students not only knew architecture, they had architecture in their heart. And they were architects because they looked for and they meditated on and they spoke about buildings, structures, architecture. Architecture was in their heart. They spoke about it. They infected the hearers on that boat with a love for architecture. Before that, my wife never talked to me about architecture. But after that, she did. That's what God means when he says in Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. A bird watcher loves birds, and he has birds in his heart. An, architecture loves, an architect loves architecture, and he has architecture in his heart. A good father loves the word of God, and he has the word of God in his heart, just like a bird watcher has bird in the hearts and so forth. And just as the bird watcher with bird in, in his heart and the architect, with architecture in his heart, they speak about birds and architecture, so will the Father. So will the Father with the Word of God in his heart speak about the Word of God 
He'll speak to his children. That's why he says, thou shalt teach them first in your heart, and then verse 6, then verse 7, then thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.